Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of The Broadcast, our regular podcast to discuss pensions and savings. I'm your host, Rachel Meadows, and I'm Head of Proposition of Pensions and Savings here at Broadstone. And I'm also joined by my co-host, David Brooks, Technical Director. For this episode, we're focusing on a cost of living special. Appreciating that this is a huge topic, we're not going to try and tackle all of the complexities of the cost of living crisis. Instead, we're going to really focus on those aspects that impact us in the world of pensions. We've got a guest with us this morning to help with our conversation, Danny Meehan from Cushion. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Danny. Uh, thank Thanks you for, for joining us. Absolute pleasure to be here. Danny, we thought you'd be a useful guest for our podcast today because you've got insight at Cushion both into the world of pensions and wider workplace savings with your Workplace ISA product. And I just thought it would be interesting to talk about I guess the two themes that are becoming relevant in the world of pensions are the cost of living pressures. And I suppose that's the dual challenges of inflation alongside um, the cost of living challenges uh, for trustees and sponsoring employers. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's quite a, well, there's obviously quite a lot to say on this topic and, and fairly limited time. But just just before we get into it, it's probably worth providing a bit of context as to how cushion has come about and the lens that we view some of these things. So um, I know we're kind of known now as a pension provider, but that's not how we started life. We we started life um, as a, a payroll linked workplace savings provider, providing all the different ISA products. So, you know, things like investment ISAs, cash ISAs, lifetime ISAs, um, junior ISAs and so on, uh, along with general investment accounts through into the workplace um, as an augmentation to pensions in order to help employees build healthy savings habits. So actually when we launched, we probably launched just a little bit before financial wellbeing became a kind of thing within the HR and rewards and benefits space. Um, but you know, over the years that we have been providing that proposition, things have really taken off, both in terms of kind of the number of employers working with us, but also the um, the focus that it's got from employers. So I think initially it was a it was a nice to have benefit that was kind of plonked within a long list of benefits, you know, either on a flex platform or not. Um, but now it's very much a central component of an employer's financial well-being strategy. Um, the move to pensions is more recent. Um, we've grown very quickly since I've since I joined the business. So I think we had about 12 million pounds worth of ISA assets. And now overall, we've got about 1.7, just over 1.7 billion of assets under management. The bulk of that is in pensions because um, we've acquired three master trusts since we started. Um, but we still haven't lost sight of the connectivity between ISA and pensions. We kind of view the world through two different lenses, actually. One is as a tech business that happens to do financial services and pensions. So, one of our things is around the uh, kind of Amazonification of personal finance, as in we need to make this thing clearer, more, co more coherent and easier for people to engage with. And then the other lens is around um, one size doesn't fit all. So it's not just about pensions. Pensions are incredibly important. My, my own background is kind of DC pensions consulting, but I think, you know, given the cost of living crisis we have at the moment, I think there's a growing recognition that pensions aren't the only game in town and we do need to help people more effectively with their short term 
savings needs and and give them those buffers. I think that's so relevant, isn't it, in the light of this cost of living crisis, because you're right, we're seeing similar with our clients at Broadstone that, you know, in the past you might have viewed your things like workplace ISA and your pension as quite separate benefits. Yes, they contribute towards financial well-being, but actually in the face of this sort of pressure that's coming to bear on members and employees in terms of um, spiralling prices and trying to find enough cash, those short-term savings cushions can actually shield members from a lot of the potential risk of harm that, that we get through uh, through the cost of living pressure. And I, I guess that's probably leads us quite nicely onto, you know, I guess what are the risks when it comes to pension savings? What are the key risks that are thrown up during this period? Yeah, I will, actually, I will, I will answer that question, but just to kind of link to your very last point, I don't know if you've you've seen, but Guy Opperman, the pensions minister, uh, is is clearly very keen for employers to set up workplace savings schemes. And you might have seen this in the recent pensions and kind of corporate benefits press. He wrote to all of the FTSE 100 executives, um, kind of asking them to consider, seriously consider setting up a workplace savings arrangement. Um, we've got a few FTSE 100 clients ourselves, so you know I think they've probably done the right thing and probably felt that they didn't like, need to write back. But from what I gather, from what I've read in the press and um, what I heard him um, saying at the Nest Insights conference recently, is that he didn't get a res single response. So clearly the kind of cost of living crisis hasn't really made its way into the boardrooms of the FTSE 100 company despite it significantly impacting you know their, their employees so that's just one thing and and I guess from a pensions perspective um I was re reviewing some um some copy that we were pu putting onto our our app earlier and um around kind of nudging people to contribute more into their pension and I must admit I did have in the back of my mind while I was looking at this whilst it is doing the right thing I also, you know, one of the things that we're kind of wrestling with is whilst we want people to save more into their pension, making some of these asks right now, um, I would certainly consider taking a pause before we kind of start beating people around the head saying, you know, you need to save more into your pension because you're going to be retiring. Retiring, You know, I use this example a lot, but, you know, eating cold baked beans out of a tin, you know, actually the focus probably needs to be on the here and now. In, in many cases um we've yeah sorry Danny I'm just going to jump in because I, I mean I think you're absolutely right but I think in my mind it's almost a dual challenge though isn't it because it is. it's absolutely not, not putting pressure on members to take money out of their pockets um so that they can meet the challenges of here and now but it's also making sure that they've got sufficient information that they're not putting their cost of living or affordability at risk in retirement and I think one of the key aspects that we're looking at in terms of member engagement is you know if maybe if you're struggling month to month and you're thinking about talking to your employer about reducing your contributions firstly do you understand what impact that's going to have so do you understand how much more money is going to go back into your pay packet if you reduce your contributions because it's not the full amount of course with tax yep. relief potentially salary exchange savings might you even lose your employer contribution if you reduce now so it's i think that engagement challenge is very real isn't it it is and actually that's where loss aversion comes in it's very easy for somebody to ring up and say i want to give up give up my 
um, pension contribution, but actually if they see the broader impacts of that, both in terms of the, the tax relief lost and the employer contribution, it actually might give them pause for thought and, and get them to reconsider. And, you know, I, it's a broad brush reference to say tighten our belts, because in many cases, people can't tighten their belts any further. It's a simple fact of life. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think there needs to be pause for thought before somebody does that. And similarly, we can also show them the, well, the way we present it within our app, for example, where anybody makes a contribution change upwards or downwards, we show them the um, kind of bad case, good case and likely case scenario, the impact of that happening. So clearly it's kind of a good thing when we're showing, you know, if you pay an extra one or 2%, you can see in numerical terms what impact that has. And actually it's proven to be really effective. But actually I think it could be quite sobering when people see the opposite. So when they go through that process and they can see, well, actually, crikey, that's going to have quite a significant impact on my future retirement stand living standards, then maybe I'll reconsider that. Um, I'm going to plug some research if that's all right because um, it's not been published yet and I have got albeit I haven't got it in writing I did get verbal the verbal okay from my marketing team so hopefully I'll um I'll, I'll still have a job at the end of this uh so we've done some re with two pieces of research coming out actually and I think one's just been published and that's around salary sacrifice um which is kind of relevant today because salary sacrifice is an increasingly important tool to get more bang for your buck from your pension but in terms of cost of living, there's some really sobering statistics. Um, one in only one in 10, so literally 10% of respondees said that they don't have any financial concerns. So that's 90% of people have financial concerns. Um, you know, raise and that raises fears about, to your point, around what their financial future looks like, as well as the immediate day to day. Um, Quite predictably, nearly 60% of people said that rising bills are the biggest worry for UK adults. Um, that's a higher figure for women. That's nearer 65%. And probably fairly predictably, 74% of over 55s are worried about the same thing. Um, maybe because they they realise they've got you know uh, less of their working life ahead of them and less time to make up any retirement shortfall, or you know, they may have, may well have taken their retirement benefits and there may not be any inflation linkage in terms of how they're taking their retirement benefits or they may be relying on um, or they may have cashed out or they may be relying on drawdown. And obviously with the markets as volatile as they are, getting the kind of drawdown sequencing wrong can have a really detrimental impact on your ongoing retirement living standard as well. Um, there's a, there's, sorry, go on. I'll take a pause there. There are a couple more, but yeah. I thought I'll invite I was, some thoughts. I, just on. I was just going to say, this just feels like a massive challenge for sort of pension freedoms. You know, yeah. they were launched at a time when everything was going up, you know, things were good. And now we've sort of got stagflation looming. Well, we're experiencing it probably. We'll look back in hindsight and we're in it now, whether we like it or not. And that's a very different world to be taking money out of a pension when it's when it's that kind of investment backdrop. So that's going to be a real challenge for people who have already taken that leap into drawdown, maybe unadvised drawdown, because that's been the big concern as well. People just doing it because it feels like the right thing and they hate annuities. I don't know. That's hmm, feels yeah, scary. That's the classic thing, though. I mean, I'm, you know, this is this has come up many times before. But if you ask somebody, do they want an annuity in retirement? Most will say no. But if you ask them if they want a guaranteed income for life, they'll say yes. 
and it's the yep. kind of you know it's it's the the labeling effect and the misunderstanding of what some of these products offer but similarly i think we're the dc marketplace has been guilty of not innovating enough in decumulation um far from it and i think that it will be it's certainly a focus for us uh, from an investment perspective for example um we we're really looking at that space quite hard and you know also open and having some early stage conversations with other master trusts around potentially collaborating in that area there as well because that's definitely an opportunity for kind of broader industry collaboration i don't think one one provider or one you know scheme or whatever can solve that issue on its own um, are you thinking sort of um sort of draw down then going into annuity later on or are you thinking even dare i say cdc what sort of products are you thinking of? <laughs> oh, the dreaded the dreaded word cdc which always <laughs> gets reactions from people um so uh probably something more that i think everything's on the table probably something more similar to the latter so having some kind of kind of longevity pool linked to to draw down um, as, an, as an example, um, people far cleverer than I am are, are looking at that at the moment and having conversations and I'm getting updated from time to time, but uh, that seems to be where focus is at the moment. Um, and just to kind of as an aside, so we, we're about to very shortly be launching kind of our in-app retirement proposition, so taking drawdown and other benefits and we, we've built our whole proposition on reducing hassle and friction and making it easy for people to get onto their pension, change contributions, change investments, nominate beneficiaries with as minimum as as possible. And now we're kind of, you know, with our, our UX team are kind of really struggling with the idea of us introducing, deliberately introducing friction into the mix, you know, with the proper signposting and handoffs to, to money helper, for example, you know, with the stronger nudge and, and actually getting people to seriously consider what they're doing before they do it. So, you know, the kind of recognition that as soon as you kind of start to take your cash, you're locked into the money purchase annual allowance, for example. And um, it's a, you know, if you want to make up any shortfalls, you've got limited headroom to do it. Um, so that's something that we, you know, we're quite excited to be working on, but it's just taken a really very different mindset to the kind of accumulation phase in terms of user experience. Yeah, it's a really interesting challenge, isn't it, for, for schemes and for trustees as well. And I wanted to just loop back and thank you for sharing that research with us. Um, you know, similarly, hope you've got a job at the end of today. But um, <laughs> I think it's, there's some quite sobering <laughs> statistics in there, though, isn't there? And I think for employers and trustees, there's a couple of really key takeaways. You know, that statistic that you cited around only one in 10 don't have financial concerns that's pretty stark isn't it we're really we're really not talking about employers or trustees having an issue with just their lower earners or just their staff that are not quite so financially competent this is absolutely across the board isn't it it is and actually just a related stat to that one which is really concerning is a quarter don't see how they'll be able to pay their bills over the next six months i mean that is pretty staggering actually um and quite frightening and given that we expect it to get worse before it gets better does pose a, a lot of challenges at, you know at, at government at employers on individuals and you know when you have 
the governor of the Bank of England asking for restraint on wage increases whilst all this is going on. It's it's really difficult one to square. It's very challenging, isn't it? I mean, I suppose we've touched, albeit very lightly, on the risk of accessing pensions early, but I think it'd be worthwhile as just talking a little bit about the risk of members falling prey to scams at such a difficult time as well, because when when things are very tight, some of those too good to be true promises, you know, must be almost irresistible to members. And I think, you know, Danny will jump back to you on the DC side in a second, but Dave, on the defined benefit um, side of things, um, what can trustees do to help members avoid falling prey to these scams over such a challenging time? Um, I suppose it's it's a it's a consideration of the messaging because we've seen a lot more schemes engaging with their members on their options, engaging with the members on their like, transfer value option being obviously the big one. You know, if you're going to see a big flashy transfer value when you're over 55, it will be very tempting to try to get that get your hands on that on that money at the moment. So I suppose it's the it's the messaging around when you're representing that how you're showing that, you know, not showing it as a stark number, just, you know, isn't that fantastic? It's got to be in context of, you know, this will happen, you'll lose these guarantees, all these lovely things that, that Danny was saying, you know, this guaranteed income, which everyone understands in DB much more than annuities, you know, to, to, to make sure members do realise what they risk giving up for a relatively short term, or hopefully a short term, a short term gain. And again, it's always that, that, that short term gain, which where the scammers make their money, you know, Oh, you know, a cost of living crisis, your pension is frozen, you know, inflation's 10%. It's a very easy sell for the scammers to really, you know, to, to sell some fear and sow some doubt and um, and get people to come out. So it's, it's it's the messaging, really. It's really key. And we're seeing a lot more conversations around member options and, and giving access to financial advice at a much earlier stage, you know, to help members on a journey, a sort of a learning journey through, look, I know I've got this DB pension, I know it's worth you know, a, a six-figure sum, and I want to get my hands on it. But it's a journey to educate them about what what it is and what they're giving up, rather than them going, "I know I want the money, I need the money, I just need to find an advisor to tick it off." You know, that financial advice piece just to tick it off. It's a whole journey to 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 to, to take them through. Absolutely, and I guess from a DC perspective, there were, I, I saw a stat the other day, which was, um, I think it was from XPS Pensions, and they've got scam flag index and two in three pension transfer requests raised at least one scam flag warning in February, um, which is a high. And I, can, I can only imagine that following that, you know, this quarter, I haven't seen any stats for, the, for, this, for this, you know, the following quarter, but I can only imagine that that's increased for exactly the same reasons. Mm. People are being, you know, that fear, uncertainty and doubt is being spread by, um, these these scammers um, uh, when people are actually quite desperate. So it's it's a it's a really tough one for for schemes and scheme administrators to wrestle with because on the other hand, they'll be criticised for not pro progressing a transfer quickly enough as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's an unenviable task, that's for sure. Yeah, the DB transfer space is really strange right now. You know, the values are you know going up, but. The, the the number of transfers we're getting asked about are actually going down, which is this sort of weird position of, okay, as the requests go down, the, the proportion of scams goes up. You know, you could almost consider one day, you know, everyone who asks for a DB pension transfer is probably being scammed, you know, because there's no other reason unless you're, you know, I mean, that's quite extreme, but it's just becoming such a, a weird space and, you know, trying to find advisors to advise on it in a, you know, in a proportionate way. 
it's a really really weird space the DB transfer space at the moment I'm not sure where we're going to end up um with with that but it, it's just yeah it's an odd dynamic and I think we'll be interested, yeah like you say be interesting to see what happens over the next six six twelve months with the cost of living crisis and whether that does create more demand and with that the same proportion of scams that will be that'll be the scary stat I think if the numbers go back up and the proportions of scams stay high that'll be that'll be scary yeah 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 it really will <laughs> sorry should I just say on DB as well there are there is a bit of a weird thing as well that, that members and trustees need to be aware of is that members looking to to take early retirement if you're a deferred member in, in a DB scheme like, like most are um the way the revaluation works because revaluation in the DB scheme is generally uncapped so you'll get the full inflation rather than pension and payment which often have caps and collars on them and so if you're looking to retire early you know for instance by going in 2022 when you'll you'll get inflation from last year compared to going in 2023 when you'll get inflation from this year could be quite a dramatic impact on your on your pension and it's a real challenge for trustees to make sure that they're giving a fair value but also for members to know by going going this year you might lose out on the whatever it might be in September eight nine ten percent inflation linking so as a dual challenge for trustees to make sure they're giving a fair value but also members to know to know what they're what they're actually getting or giving up so that's, uh, that's, that's what's on the radar yeah it's an interesting one Dave isn't it because that's the kind of issue that can make a massive difference like you say eight nine maybe even ten percent inflation this year you know that's a very real difference to the starting level of your pension but I suppose what we're talking about there as well is a really quite tough information uh you know information challenge for members because if you've been a member of a defined benefit pension arrangement for most of your working life you probably haven't thought too much about your scheme mechanics have you you know really you've paid in you understand what you're going to get at the end and so it, i guess it falls back on trustees again doesn't it to try to educate members you know if you're asking for early retirement this year you know, is there a is there a, a burden to go back and say, well, okay, have have you considered, that, you know, it's tricky or does that stray into advice? Yeah, it's a minefield. It's a minefield we're kind of trying to manage at the moment because you know, people have the right to do what they want. You know, you don't need to take advice to retire early, and so and you don't know people's circumstances. They might have short term needs for cash that outweigh the potential upside of, of what might happen in 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 twelve months time. So it's really really difficult really difficult one for trustees to to wait on. It does feel a bit close to advice. You know, we do a lot of, you know, the standard communications is always saying take advice, take advice. But, you know, you don't need to for that. So, yeah, that's a tricky one. It is. I mean, Danny, I'm mindful that we didn't um, pick up on the other research um, that you cited around um, salary sacrifice or salary exchange. And, you know, especially in light of um, higher national insurance contributions for staff and for employers, that can be one useful way to mitigate at least a little bit of the cost of living pressure, can't it? It can, exactly. Uh, I think I, I think I'd rather, having been a previous life, I'd, I'd rather naively thought that all pension schemes that were just had literally moved to salary sacrifice, certainly all the ones I advised did, and probably the ones that employers advised did as well. Um, and then I kind of moved into the real world and realised that there were an awful lot of companies out there that still hadn't um, operated kind of their pension schemes on a salary sacrifice basis. 
Um, and I, I, even now, still a, sig a, a significant number haven't. And obviously, with the increase in in NI, that's a significant saving both to the individual and potentially to the employer to share it. But it's also a very good way for an employer to to give their members an uplift in their pension contributions if they do share it. Which I'm pleased to say my employer does, um, but I know not all of them do. Um, it's an it's an underrated benefit. Um, it's a poorly understood benefit as well, I think. Um, but but certainly we are seeing more interest from prospective clients and current clients in implementing salary sacrifice arrangements, uh, which is good to see. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're seeing similar things uh, here at Broadstone. I think, um, I mean, obviously we could talk about cost of living all day, couldn't we? But um, I, I was keen to try to talk a little bit about inflation um, or the higher higher inflation rates and the impacts that those have on the world of pensions as well. Um, and particularly the challenges um, for investment strategies. So, Danny, in terms of your default funds, for example, are you seeing any repositioning in response to higher inflation? Not immediately, no. I mean, I guess, I mean, obviously, cost of living and inflation are inextricably linked, but we, um, we from an investment perspective, we have a, a, a quite a punchy investment strategy in terms of, of, of risk taken and how long we hold that risk for. And we do that because we get really kind of at way out with of industry norms levels of engagement. So we're getting about 85% engagement rates, which gives us the confidence to kind of dial up the risk assets. And, and we're also confident that our members have got a good handle at where they are in their retirement stage and have the tools and the confidence to be able to shift things like their retirement age, for example. So in terms of inflation linkers, um, not necessarily for me, Within, we've got a private markets portfolio, which we've, we, which we've made quite a bit of noise about in the market. So we've got the highest allocation to private markets within the DC Master Trust space at around 15%. And within that portfolio, there are, there, there's a fairly significant um, ex exposure to infrastructure which obviously is a is, is a good good link to inflation um, and similarly um, more across the, the portfolio we've got a high exposure to equities as well but no formal um, kind of index linking in there there's no index link gills for example which might not be a bad thing um, but it is something we look at and it, we're looking at but we we don't want to run the risk of making any tweaks after the event so one of the things our investment office is reviewing at the moment, along with our trustees, is the persistency of this inflation. Um, there's obviously the energy shock that we've got from from on the Russian side of things and the food pricing shock we've got from the U Ukrainian side of things, you know, as a result of the war in Ukraine and the impact of sanctions. You know, hope we, we all hope that that will end sooner rather than later, but the long term impacts will still be there. But Another thing that we're looking at is, you know, is there an acceleration in deglobalization, for example? You know, we've all benefited from the disinflationary impacts of globalization, um, you know, what kind of whatever your political beliefs, but so we have benefited from that. But obviously we're seeing, you know, increasing nationalism. We're seeing, you know, um, I'm not going to use the B word, but obviously that happened. Um, and I saw, I can't even remember the statistic, but I got one of these round robin emails from one of the many things that I'm kind of on a mailing list for. 
talk about the ever-increasing use of the phrases like nearshoring and deglobalization and onshoring uh, in earnings calls. So clearly that this is featuring across the board, across a multitude of industries, and clearly it's going to have an impact, I guess, both in terms of pensions investments, but also probably the way pension schemes are run as well, because, you know, there's quite a lot, lot of offshoring used in the operation um, with some, some pension providers and pension schemes. So it will have a broader impact. Yeah, there's interesting challenges, isn't there? From the member uh, engagement side of things, when we're thinking about investments, I suppose there's another challenge at the moment, isn't there? We've got this inflation um, challenge, but we've also got very bumpy equity markets, you know, partly yeah. fed, like you say, by the war in, in Ukraine. And but, you know, what what are the dangers of too much cash waiting if members are shying away from those bumpy equity markets? So we have. Um, so you, you, I guess you can think about it in the context of when any, anything significant happens so I'm thinking um, when coronavirus hit and mar equity markets fell through the floor there is an understandable urge to communicate that what's happening out there with a message to say don't panic you know and if you look at take a longer term view and look at the bigger picture equity markets tend to recover they do recover um, and obviously with the tools that we have at our disposal now, we can literally send an app notification to all of our members to say, boom, you know, don't panic. <laughs> don't panic, you know, th th this is a short term thing. But the, the unintended consequence of doing that blanket to everybody is that we wake up a lot of people and panic them. They're thinking, oh God, my pension funds dropped in value. What do I do? So we've quite deliberately, and this is just what an example of what, what we've done is we've quite deliberately, where I remember currently, um, goes in to make a change to their investments within the app user journey we have a pop-up message kind of explaining the volatility in the market and some of the things that they should consider before proceeding so it's it's or it's it's being presented to somebody that's already thinking about making a change now they might have a valid reason for making a change out with any of this kind of stuff they might just think i want to take more risk or less risk you know it could be something that's completely appropriate for them but we just want to kind of put a little bit of a pause in people's minds who might be thinking that this is all too much for me at the moment I'm going to move everything to cash because what you can guarantee at that point is you're crystallizing it might not be a loss but it, it's certainly a reduction in the market and you're probably going to end up going back into the market when you feel more comfortable but actually you're going to be worse off financially and it will have a long-term impact on your expected retirement outcome so um, you know we, we're kind of keen for people not to fall into that trap we, we want people to be engaged, but we want them to be engaged in the right way, as it were. So can you tell when people actually do pause or change or don't do something? Or is it hard to, to see the negative? Yeah, yeah. We, can, we can track all of that. We can we can we can track um, people obviously making changes, but also people going into that part of the app, the message appearing and then maybe reconsidering. I don't have those stats off the, the top of my head. I, um, I hope it is proving useful though. Um, we're very much of the view that if you just start carpet bombing some of these messages, you can you can actually just get the outcome that you're looking to avoid. Yeah, I think you're right. And there is, there's a real design and engagement strategy uh, consideration, isn't there, both for schemes, for employers, for trustees, you know, because some of these issues can be magnified as well, can't they? If, you know, 
for example, you've got someone that's moving into cash in a bumpy market and then they're going to take out some tax free cash because they're over 55. They're going to start yeah. taking pension withdrawals to alleviate cost of living. You almost end up in a perfect storm where uh, actually some of the most vulnerable members that are under the most pressure are suffering the you know, the maximum financial harm in a way or, or taking the least value out of the pension. They are. And hopefully that person, your example, wasn't taking their tax free cash and then just whacking it into a bank account, you know, because that's that's clearly value destructive as well. Um, and, you know, we've se I've seen a couple of pieces of research which show that's really prevalent. And again, something that we collectively as an industry need to fix in terms of guiding people to consider these things as part of their overall decision making. Absolutely. OK, so lots for um, pension scheme trustees, employers and members to think about. Now, Dave, this episode, the myth we're going to attempt to debunk is that pensions are boring. What do you think? Are pensions boring? <laughs> um, uh, probably. No, no, I don't mean that. Um, I can see why people might think they're boring and that's fair enough. And I've I've got quite strong views about engagement, which you might get into but we might do that as another podcast another time about engagement and things like that but no they're not boring they're incredibly exciting um i've got a little list a little i could we could have the top sort of the top of the pops music that would be helpful but without it we'll just we'll just crack on so first one do you want to stop working or not that's kind of the big one um if you do want to stop working then pensions aren't boring if you want to carry on working forever yeah pensions probably are boring and not for you but if you want to stop <laughs> really, really, really good way of helping you to stop working. If it's an employer scheme, it's as interesting as a pay rise, because if you're in a, an employer pension scheme and you're contributing, they'll be matching some money into that. If you don't like pay rises, great, come out. If you don't like pay, think pay rises are boring, then yeah, pensions are boring as well. Um, <laughs> if you want to pay less tax, you know, you like, I mean, I think tax is great because, you know, it pays for hospitals and all good things. But if you want, you want to pay less tax, then pensions aren't boring because if you pay money into the pension scheme, you avoid paying some tax. So that's fantastic. Legally, not avoidance, evasion or evasion or avoidance. I always get those two confused. Like Jimmy Carr. Probably a dangerous thing <laughs> to confuse. <don't. laughs> yes, they get, pensions definitely get interesting if you if you start breaking the law. Yeah. Anyway, don't do that. Um, compound interest. So as we know, Einstein didn't say this, but he did say something. He was alleged to say something along the lines of it being the eighth wonder of the world. Um, as he didn't say it, I'm going to make a new quote. Compound interest is smashing. Use it. So the benefit of time, invest your money for a long time. It's really powerful, like children's pets and cakes. The investment of time, they'll be very, they'll repay you. They'll be good. Um, death benefits, obviously pensions. We can't go too far from pensions before we talk about death. So there are death benefits attached to it. Sometimes it could be completely tax free. I mean, you have to die quite young, but you know, they're, they're there. So they're, they're fantastic to have. Um, they're the best get rich someday scheme in the world, probably. So that's not boring either. Also, if you're into investments and you want to, your money to do good things for somebody somewhere, it's going to be the biggest pot of money you have that you have some control over. And if you want to do something good with it, fantastic. Use that pot. Use that pot of money to do something with it that, that, that fits your values and fits your views of the world. You can influence things. So use your pension for that. And now finally, if we invented pensions today, we think they're the best thing since sliced toast. They're good. They're not boring. Right. That's my little little rundown. I'm going to go to Danny first and then Rachel to see if you've got a favourite that I didn't say. Or if you like one of mine, that's great. You can you can have the same one. Danny. 
I, I think mine links to your second to last point, which is around the power of engagement and using your pension as a tool to be able to do something in the here and now. So I, I briefly mentioned, you know, our private markets portfolio. More broadly, we've got a kind of net zero commitment. But let's face it, talking to people about public markets and bonds and gilts is, is dull. But private markets, infrastructure, there's some really exciting stories to tell, you know, natural capital, you know, we aspirationally want to be able to show our, take our members to the forests that they're invested in as part of their private markets. We want to, we want to take them to the wind farms. We also want to be able to do that virtually as well. So if we take the example of within our forestry portfolio, rewilding of native species, if they are rewilding golden eagles on the Scottish borders, we want to be able to kind of live webcam the first golden eagle chicks hatching in our forestry investment to our members. So it's beamed to them while they're at the pub on a Friday and they could say to their friends, look at what my pension's doing, what's yours doing? You know, that's where we want to take it. We can make it interesting today. Mm. That's powerful. Yeah, I like it. It's not just about airports and bridges. <laughs> yeah. Which are, which are great. As well. Don't get me wrong. They're great. Yeah. Spotters, the thing is, as well, you can then be the person at a party that brings up pensions and you're not the most boring person in the room, <laughs> are you? If you're talking about that sort of thing, it's fantastic. <laughs> I don't know, Rachel. I still think oh, if you've got a picture of a little eagle, you know, who's oh, not yeah. going to think that's cute? It's an egret, isn't it? I don't know. I can't remember the name of a baby eagle. Oh, well, there, there's my technical knowledge shortfall. I'm not going to Google it. I'm just going to leave it. The only problem with that example is that there are examples of cannibalism amongst baby eagles so um it could go badly wrong and you could be engaging for totally all the wrong reasons and it may, it may well have a negative impact on pensions wow we could, yeah there's a there's a whole rabbit hole here that we could get sucked down isn't there well I think the eagles I'm gonna, will eat rabbits as well sorry i just, just i'm, I'm pulling us firmly back onto track by saying that I, I think um one of the most exciting things um of the points that you raised, Dave, it's, it's fairly basic. It's that idea that really your pension is the means by which you stop work. Your pension is the vehicle that funds all of the exciting things you want to do in your life, you know, covering your basics and then, you know, your holidays, your nice eating out, spoiling family and friends and everything really in your life that's your goal. You know, most people's goals are not about pounds and pence. Most people's goals are around things they want to do and pensions how how you make that happen. So oh. another quote will say, pensions are not boring. They're actually the most exciting thing that you keep ignoring. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Okay. So thank you so much um, for listening to our episode of the podcast. And thanks to Danny uh, from Cushion for coming in and giving us such insightful yeah. comments. Thanks, Danny. Great to be here. Thank you very much for having me.